1: Today's episode is brought to you by Christian Focus Publications. Visit ChristianFocus.com. To see the latest releases in theology, biblical studies, and reference books, get fifteen percent off by using the code "Equipping in Grace." No spaces, all lowercase at checkout. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Gene. Gene, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thanks, good to be with you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, I've enjoyed just uh having a few minutes just to chat with you before we recorded, and I'm looking forward to the. This conversation today. Uh, can you uh, just tell us a little bit about your life, your marriage, your ministry? What are you working on, um, you know, writing project-wise these days?
0: Yeah, well, I've been an English professor at Christian colleges for decades, uh, most recently Patrick Henry College. Uh, I was a culture editor for World Magazine for a while. I've written quite a few books on Christianity and culture, like, uh, like this one, and uh, lots more. I have a wife and three grown children just a few years ago we retired and we moved to oklahoma where we are now where i grew up and we're just two blocks away from six of our 12 uh, grandkids six are in australia not quite so close we visit them every chance we get and enjoying retirement greatly and i'm still keeping up my my writing this book has come out and i've been uh doing quite a few other things with my blog and my uh, articles of various kinds so i'm able to keep up that part of my uh my calling uh even in retirement.
1: Well that's wonder that's wonderful, brother. Uh would you like to just tell us a little bit about this book, Post Christian, A Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture, why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received. Okay.
0: Well, in 1994, I published a book called Postmodern Times, The Christian Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture. And that was one of the most popular books I'd written. And at that time, postmodernism, relativism, all of these issues uh, were really quite new. Mine was one of the first books to critically engage that from a Christian point of view. So um, it still holds up pretty well. It's still in print. People are still uh, reading it. Um, but it obviously have happened over the last 25 years you know there's a bunch of new issues and new things that. So- Uh, that needed to be addressed. Uh, People suggested I update Postmodern Times. But what I did instead was to write a sequel to that book. And this book, Post-Christian, is the sequel to Postmodern Times. And what it does is to look at secularism. We say we're in a secular world. We're in a post-Christian world. Uh, But that doesn't mean that Christianity is over. Far from it, as my book shows, but a lot of people think they can leave Christianity out of consideration and it's sort of marginalized as a private little inner set of beliefs that doesn't affect the real world, the outside world. Uh, but there's a lot of facets to it. Uh, big challenge for the church uh, Christianity uh, is said to be declining. Again, that's a complicated question that I get into also the rise of the nuns. People who claim to have no religion. Yeah, when you look closely at, at the nuns, they—they uh, they, most of them do have supernatural beliefs. They're more pagan beliefs. But anyway, my book looks at all of those things and the different issues that we're facing now in you know, science, technology, sex, the body, society, politics, religion, and so I tried to write a book that will guide Christians through this, through these issues, but also to encourage them, because... Trying to be post-Christian, trying to be purely secular, is not working out as well as people thought that it would. And secularism is, in all these areas, they're running into dead ends and contradictions, which I get into. And I, and Christianity shows some ways forward. And I try to show how that can be in a way to encourage Christians in these areas. Uh, uh, challenging times
1: yeah that's uh, that's really well said. I, I think what stood out to me as I as I read your book is you're calling us to the Bible and you're calling people to community and I think both are absolutely very very important um, and, and absolutely uh, you know the Bible is is to be central in the life of the Christian but I think in particular what I appreciated I mean I've absolutely appreciated that. But I think even the the contribution you make is calling people, helping people to understand how all of these different things in our culture, how everybody is seeking a community and is a part of a community. And we actually have the um, you know, through God's word, we as God's people have the ultimate community, uh, we're gathered under Christ and that's and true. to uh, to to be part of you know a word centered and word formed community. That's
0: so true. And so many of these new world views, they search for community. You know, their cultural identity. You know, that, that people yearn to belong to a community, but they don't have one. And the. But we have instead, our technology does many wonderful things, but we have virtual community. And you, know, you get on social media, and you have your friends, so-called friends, and many of the friends you may never have met in, in real life. And so and people are trying to turn that into a community, but instead, it very often, it's very ugly. And all of these things demonstrate this hunger for human relationships, for genuine community. And that's something that the church has. Uh, there's a study of the nuns, you know, those who check the box. What is your religion? None. And, and one of the big things about them is made the nuns more so than any other demographic black community. It not just that they're not joining churches. They're not joining anything. They're not joining. You know, book clubs or sports uh, teams or secular interest groups or political parties, nothing. And the, their isolation is really a tragic thing. And human beings can't live long with that kind of, of, of isolation. So they're not getting married, they're not having families, they're by themselves. And as they get old, they're going to, to feel the consequences of that. And so, as Christians, we can. Be there. I, I think uh, we have something very tangible to offer, and for the community, is something very you know tangible, and maybe it didn't seem related to a, a supernatural uh, faith or the gospel or anything, and yet that is a way we can draw them in and make them part of our community, part of our church, as part of the worldwide universal church. It's Christ's body of all the faithful, and uh, we can usher them into that.
1: That's really, really good. What what does the pro-choice view do to the idea of not only choice, but also of freedom in terms of its consequences on people's worldviews today?
0: Well, the way people approach moral issues today... the, The secularist, that is. It depends on the will the will makes something good, or if there's not a will, it makes something bad. So those who believe in abortion call themselves pro-choice. Notice how that works. If a woman chooses to get an abortion, that's right for her. If she chooses to have the baby, that's right for her. I've even read people you know, responding to the question, well, when do you think a baby, a baby does become human? Well, when the mother chooses it? And this focus on the will as the source of moral authority rather than objective moral absolutes as opposed to the commandments of God uh, or, or even any rational, objective thinking. It's just the inner will. Uh, you see that in the debates about euthanasia. You know, if, if, if somebody chooses to die, who are we to say? Then that's right for them to die. We see it in sexuality discussion. So whatever you choose, that is your gender. Uh, Whatever you, if if there is any sexual behavior, is moral as long as there is consent. That that will manifests itself in another aspect in desire. Whatever you desire, the thought goes, you have a right to that. Okay, this is the kind of unleashing of the appetite. If I desire particular. kind of sex or particular consumer good or whatever it is, people think that that means it's right for them to have that, and that is presented in the name of freedom. Freedom is thought to be the ability to do whatever you choose, whereas the Bible talks about freedom in another way what enslaves us is sin and jesus says in john 8 he who sins is a slave to sin and those who struggle with you know, drug addiction alcohol abuse pornography addiction or, or or even the just the whole array of sin knows that when you're state of sin that's a slave but then christ says in john 8 he goes on jesus says but if the the sun frees you, you're free indeed. And scripture gives us a way for true freedom, which does not come from just indulging all of our sinful appetites for Rather being transformed by Christ who turns us into human beings who are genuinely free in the in the best sense of that word. So the irony is that the pro-choice mentality, making the will of the determinant, actually leads to slavery and bondage rather than what the the, the secularists are, are looking for.
1: Yeah, that's that's really really well said. You know, you know what's interesting is is people think, well, I'm I'm a good person right well yeah but then but then as you just articulated so well if you're a good quote unquote person then you have to believe in moral absolutes and where do you get the moral absolutes from if you reject moral absolutes and then you just say well then you have to ask do you actually believe in the logic and they and they do believe in logic i grew up in seattle and and it's central to logic is central to their whole argument so do you actually you ask them do you believe in do you, do you then believe this? You say that you're a good person, but 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 you don't believe in moral absolutes, so do you believe in logic?
0: Yeah, and, and then they,
1: irony is that yeah.
0: we are in an age of both sin and self-righteousness. And self-righteousness has been the big enemy of the gospel since Jesus dealt with Pharisees, but we have a new kind of Pharisee mentality among people who are flagrant sinners and who defend their sins. Yet they say, I am a good person. They think, I am so good that nothing I do, of course, can. how could that be wrong? I'm a good person. And so they hide their sinfulness in this veneer of self-righteousness, which course is just a a cover-up and in that they have you know self-righteousness without righteousness and the uh uh, what that comes to is a kind of hypocrisy that um you know occasionally breaks down but but it's 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 a slavery it's another kind of slavery that, that they're committed in effect into works righteousness but they know that they can never even meet their own high standards uh, but uh, speak very harshly against anyone who, who suggests that there's anything wrong with them or that they're
1: sinning in any way. Yeah, well, sin is irrational. So um, the unsafe person... I'm not saying that the unsafe person can't think rationally. I'm not saying that. But it, it makes us behave in ways that are irrational and, and think in ways that are irrational. What's uh, what's one example of how science is used as a weapon to discredit biblical uh, truth claims? And how should Christians respond to this claim by... science with the word of god
0: well we're in a time where science has great authority and people put their trust their faith in science the science will find a solution to our problem and even people that don't know anything about science will invoke science against religion or christianity or, or or whatever and it's ironic because in our times most people are constructivist which means they believe truth is something we create for ourselves and i get into this in in, in the book and we just talked about morality you choose you create your own moral code yourself and r- truth is relative morality is relative and we are all constructing what's real for ourselves worldview is not consistent with modern science. Modern science depends on empiricism, attending to the outside objective world and learning to understand it. But if you're a constructivist, that totally goes out the window. And yet, science, which resists constructivism, which is why it's been able to make so many, so much uh, uh, so many discoveries and so much progress, actually goes against the main current of our of our day uh, and yet even the constructivists will invoke science when they when they want to. But uh, science, the the invocation of science, kind of betrays or or indicates in their mind scientific materialism. Nothing exists beyond what science can empirically demonstrate and and observe and understand, which is used to cut out anything supernatural, anything religious, anything moral, any... but it goes beyond that. There's there's nothing, no ideas for uh, are allowed to be true if it's not reducible to just scientific materialism. But again, the, the contradiction with the constructivist mind, if, if you're really oriented to the outside world, to the objective world, you would also attend to objective morality, and objective uh, religious teachings, and everything else. I mean, the biggest place where science is used to hammer Christianity, of course, is the, the, uh, the theory of evolution. That's used to under mind, the authority of the Bible and uh, the Christian teachings about creation, which are extremely important for us to, to recover as we recover a Christian view of the outside world, which is what we need to do, uh, I uh, argue, to counter a lot of this. It's interesting to see the reaction of the scientists and others to any creationist evidence or intelligent design or any evidence that doesn't fit their paradigm. They get angry and upset, and it's not just a different you know interpretation of a fact. It's not just a question, an objective issue that well we can debate this. No, it's not allowed. It's thrown out because that you know, evolution has become kind of the, the 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 central dogma of science as religion uh, that we had. But the third of evolution, as I show in my book, it's not just a scientific conclusion. Uh, probably the best poem. I've about Darwin's theory of evolution was by Alfred Lord Tennyson, in Memoria, where he talks about survival of the fittest and nature red in tooth and claw, nature is not the the uh, source of values, nature is violent, it's in conflict. Those were in 10 years before Darwin, before Darwin published Origin of Species. And even before that, you can see writers and thinkers and philosophers putting forward a theory of evolution. And what Darwin did was to take that model, which is in the air, I mean, even Even in the Industrial Revolution, uh, where where he came came from, the idea of free market capitalism, that the economic progress comes from the competition between different uh, individuals and different businesses forcing the best to win out and for economic progress to grow. That's basic capitalism, which I agree with. Uh, basically, except then Darwin is applying that to biology, and he turns it into a big paradigm that then scientists use to organize all of of their conclusions, pretty much. So, I talk about this in the book. It'll help Christians to understand about what the scientific method actually is, and to understand how scientific models are always changing, and they have to change, but to not get so invested and, and so dismayed by a particular one uh, the good news I show in my book is that as science is changing it's, it's done something kind of remarkable I mean used to in the 1800s and the 1900s in the age of modernism People thought that science was explaining everything. It was disenchanting the world, according to one important thinker, that it's taking the mystery out of life. You give scientific explanation for why it rains, that takes away the mystery of of, of, of rain. It's just a mechanical, impersonal, materialistic phenomenon that has no meaning, and we can understand it rationally, and once we understand it, then there's nothing more to be said. And the thought was that even things we don't explore, that we don't understand, eventually science will explain. The effect of that, under modernism, was to just banish any kind of supernatural or even mysterious element to or interaction with reality, which is one reason people went inside themselves to find meaning and mystery and uh, purpose. And that led to the postmodernism and a lot of the Subjectivity that we're dealing with now. The neat thing, though, is that science has come so far that now science is re enchanting nature. So, the more we know about science, the more mysterious the universe becomes and the more mind blowing it is. Uh, I talked in my book about the findings of uh, quantum physics which is amazing and it it defies that kind of easy, productive materialism you know, subatomic particles are not just little marbles bouncing against each other Uh, they found if you split two subatomic particles and they go in different directions, yet what you do to one will also be done to the other even if they're on the other side of the universe, and it's instantaneously how are these particles connected, and this is what science shows us quantum physics shows that observing these subatomic particles changes how they behave how do you how do they know whether they're being observed and just point after point these are things that don't fit into a nice little calculator brain they go beyond anything almost to the point of being kind of supernatural but but, but science the projection of science and and, we're it's going is increasing your sense of mystery and I think making newly credible a, 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 a Christian worldview, the reality of supernatural things are beyond our simple, limited human understanding, that I think it's something that Christians can really build on.
1: Yeah, that's that's really, really helpful. Um, in what way does the doctrine of vocation help Christians in a post-Christian uh, culture live out their faith in a secular society? Well, that's another
0: subject I've been studying and writing about. I wrote a book called God at Work, Your Christian Vocation in All of Life. And this Reformation doctrine of vocation, it's far more than I knew that it was about, and it's very helpful and very practical. It's not just that God calls us to different occupations, but vocation, as the Reformers understood it, and as the Bible teaches about it, is it's a theology of life that, that we, we, we come to Christ, and then God sends us into our call Callings. Our vocation. Vocation just means calling, and he calls us into to, to certain neighbors. So, marriage is a vocation. The parent is a vocation. Yeah, having you know, all the different ways people make a living, that's part of their vocation. Being a citizen is a vocation. And God sends us into the world to live out our faith. And not only that, vocation teaches that God works in and through us to bless our neighbors. You know, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love to our neighbors as ourselves. And it's in our callings in the family, in the workplace in our citizenship, in our communities, in the church, in the local congregation. We interact with people, and we love and serve our neighbors in the work that our vocations call us to do. So whether it's teaching, forming, as you do on your on your uh, podcast, as I tried to do as a college teacher, you know, Luther said that God gives us our daily bread by means of the farmer, and the baker, and everybody else, if people who prepared our meal. God is in all of that. He protects us through lawful authorities. He heals us through medical callings. He blesses us through engineers and people that make up technology that we can use. All of our callings are ways to love and serve our neighbor and that God is in that. And it's also where we interact with non-Christians and where we salt and light to the world. And so, in the secular time, a lot of Christians are talking about, well, we need to pull back. The culture is so far gone. We need to pull back and start our own cultures. And, okay, I understand there's some truth to that. I talk about it in my book. We can learn from that. But ultimately, in vocation, God wants us to be in the world, not of the world, but in the world. And it's in our various vocations that we interact with the secular world, and we interact with non-believers, and we can be there for them as we love and serve them. Part of that, we can bring them, when we see that they're desperate need of community, we can bring them to our church when they're... they're Constructivist mindset doesn't work when they get a dangerous disease. They learn they have cancer. That's not the truth that you constructed for yourself. That's reality that breaks in on you from the outside. We can be there for them and direct them to Christ, who breaks in on us from the outside too, and we can uh, make a difference for them. So I think vocation gives us a model for how we can live faithfully and effectively even
1: in a post-Christian environment. Uh, that's really, really helpful. Very very helpful. Very well said. Uh, where can people go to find out more about your work, Gene, online, either on uh, social media or otherwise? Yeah, well, I have a blog that's pretty popular. It's called Cronach,
0: C-R-A-N-A-C-H, named after the artist who was uh, Martin Luther's good friend and he's a good example for vocation that's kind of one of my big uh, hobby horses uh, he was an artist, he was the mayor of Wittenberg, he was a businessman he was a printer he and he, he, he was Luther's right hand man using the arts and technology to bring up the gospel, he was the, the first printer of the bible in the uh, vernacular language and so uh, he's kind of a, kind of a hero. Uh, so the Chronoc blog, it's at uh, Pathios, a big uh, group that has lots of different uh, blogs on it. So you can go to pathios.com slash blog slash G V my name, slash, and that'll take you to the Chronoc blog, and you'll be able to keep up uh, with me and see some of the things I've written. And it's, it's a discussion blog, so it's, it's a good occasion to talk about a lot of these issues as they come up. And uh, it, it can be pretty pretty interesting, but that's a good way to keep up with me.
1: Well, wonderful, wonderful. Um, thank you for sharing about your uh, your work. Um, is, there's a lot that, you know that we haven't uh, covered about this topic, and you know we could talk for hours about this. Really, just but just as we wrap up this conversation, can you give us a few takeaways, Gene? Yeah. First of all, when we talk
0: about secularism. It's not necessarily how we think it. The new atheists think that well people aren't believing in God, they're all going to be scientific to be materialists. That has not happened. There's really very few atheists, even among the secularists. About 10% of Americans say they are atheists. Among the nuns who say they have no religion, 78% believe in some kind of supernatural belief. Very few of the, of the nuns are atheists. The problem is what they believe is usually you know, reincarnation, uh, uh, psychic powers, astrology, New Age type beliefs. It's really not as much a rejection of religion as sort of into the void they're becoming pagans, but Christians have always done well in evangelizing pagans. And so um, we don't have to think that even when you read about the the rise of the nuns or the secularists, that that they're getting away from religion. In some ways, I think they're getting closer to kind of a supernatural kind of concept that they don't fully understand, and we can be there to help them with it. The other thing is there's a huge Christian revival taking place everywhere in the world, except America and Europe. We are the outliers in Africa Asian, communist China. China. Thousands and thousands of people are turning to, to Christ. And so even scholars are saying that, well, it's not true that the world is becoming more secular. It just isn't. And I think a lot of that energy that we're seeing in global Christianity uh, is very likely to come here. Uh, but the people that sent the missionaries to these countries and now uh so many people come into faith now they're at the point they'll be sending missionaries to us and we may well as a country get caught back into that into that revival yeah
1: that that's a that's a really really important thing that you said you know we we uh we sent them out we uh we trained them and now they're going to come back to us and and uh teach us and instruct us uh That's how multiplication works. So, Gene, I I really appreciate uh, your time today and your very thoughtful answers. And great Christ, richest blessings on your work, brother. Well, thanks. Enjoyed our talk. Thank you, brother. I'd like to thank Christian Focus for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit Christian Focus website at www.christianfocus.com to receive 15% off of the latest releases in theology, biblical studies, and reference books from Christian Focus by entering code EQUIPPINGINGRACE, no spaces, all lowercase, at checkout.